Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with your network and go to the podcast app and leave a rating or review. This will help us reach new people with this show. Previous guests on the show have included Michael Beck, Brian Sanders, and Lisa Rodriguez-Watson. But today's guest is Roland Smith. Roland is National Director for Forge America Missional Training Network. He is also on staff at Pulpit Rock Church in Colorado Springs, where he directs missional discipleship and helps oversee the Pando Collective, which is a microchurch network launched and supported by their church community. We have a great conversation around missional living, contextualizing the gospel, microchurch, and the future of the church. Enjoy the conversation. Roland, welcome. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. It is so good to be with you. Excited yeah. about it. Yeah, it's really good. I'm excited to dive in a little bit about uh, you know, where the church is headed, how we could really impact the culture around us, you know. But I'd love to hear your story of of what does it actually look like for you as a follower of Jesus? How did how does Jesus inform your life? Um, and what was your story starting to follow him? Yeah. Um, and, and try to do that in an elevator pitch, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> we, we have, um, we have some time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so kind of the, the quick story, I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, I grew up in a family that, you know, we, maybe we went occasionally on an Easter or Christmas, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't remember church except for my grandmother. You know, if I stayed with her, uh, would go, go on weekends, um, but then I found Christ after, after being on a stint on the road, uh, with bands and stuff, um, yeah. came off of that in a real turmoil in my life. And that's where Jesus found me. Um, actually a friend that was in a band, a local band, uh, shared the gospel with me and wow. just talked about Jesus and, um, just really just prayed that prayer on my own by myself. And, mm-hmm. you know, you find yourself in, um, what i what is now, you know, was a liminal kind of threshold moment yeah. in my life and, and God found me. Um, and that started a kind of a long, slow discipleship process. Um, I, I got called into ministry really early. And some of that was because of my gifting. So being a guitar player and involved in rock bands and production, I knew yeah. about like video and sound and lights and all that kind of stuff. And this is right when the passion movement was, you know, coming on yeah. the scene and, you know, Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman were young guys then. And, but having 
someone that was in love with Jesus, that knew how to do worship and kind of that style and everything. Mm. I found, I found myself uh, sought after, you know, by mm. churches. And, yeah. um, and so God used that as a lever point and, I, and I'm really thankful for it. Um, a lot of doors kind of opened and I learned my way into mm faith and pastoring and all of that, it felt like a, um, it felt like a fast track into yeah. that. And at the same time, I was reading a lot of scripture and studying and, um, you know, I went to Fuller and, and, and did some other things. Uh, fast forward kind of all of that. I mean, I, I was on, I was on church staffs, about four different churches doing worship. I started doing some teaching, some executive pastor stuff. Uh, Cause I kind of, I have a business degree also. Yeah. And, um, and in that, I also had this history of not growing up in the church. And so I, I didn't have, um, kind of these traditional items of, I mean, I'll call them baggage. Yeah. Now they're not all baggage, but I mean, I didn't have, uh, traditions that, um, totally shaped the way that I thought about church and faith. Right. My, my faith was a little more, um, maybe raw and, mm -hmm and real and tangible because yeah. I approached it off the streets, you know, so yeah. to say. And then I found myself in the middle of fairly large size brick and mortar institutions. And, um, I always had, um, there was always kind of a Jekyll Hyde, <laughs> um, persona with me because in the church, I, I felt like I needed to kind of look and act a certain way. You know, right. I needed, yeah. I needed to sing Lord, I lift your name on high and whatever the new songs yeah. were of the time. But at the same time, I was still a Led Zeppelin guy, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I was figuring out how to live my faith in a raw, real sense. And then called to be a quote unquote pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I was ordained before I finished seminary, you know? And so, yeah. Um, I very much loved Jesus, but I had this kind of raw sense about faith. So I was a little, I felt like a little bit of a black sheep in leadership and, and even in leading. Now, ironically, this was the thing that people liked about me on stage <laughs> or whatever, yeah. you know? So, you know, we, I was at one church, you know, my first church I was at had a ton of college kids or four colleges in town and, um, and that's the thing they liked, you know, cause I just kind of talked about faith in a, in a real sense without a lot yeah. of Christianese and that kind of thing. At that point, I would not, I didn't know what mission or missional or any of those things kind of were, but I was on a path toward that. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I, I can remember, you know, reading the shaping of things to come, Mike Frost and Alan Hirsch. Yep. And it just, I actually read it. Uh, it's the only book I've read in order twice. So <laughs> I read it, finished it, and I started it again. Wow. And, um, it, you know, it, I'm not saying that it would do that to everyone else, but for me, <laughs> it opened up the kingdom of God in this whole <laughs> different way of looking at faith and church yeah. and everything else. Now I stayed in pastoral roles, um, you know, after that, but I was very much on this journey of, uh, I mean, that's back when the emerging church was around, you know, right. and so yeah. 
you know, Dan Kimball and people like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. are doing cool churches and the missional conversations starting to happen. And so I found myself in the middle of that conversation while still doing kind of the traditional um, contemporary non-denom Bible right. church kind of kind yep. of path. And um, eventually about, uh, about 10 years ago now, nine years ago, um, my wife and I, we came to a kind of a, I call it a crisis of ecclesiology. Mm. And really I was just, um, you know, I was, I was a little bit feeling like I was playing a game that I wasn't built for, you know, anymore. And I had enough, um, you know, I had enough education and experience and things like that behind me that I felt like I could set out on my own. And so we, we left a church and kind of an executive pastor position, mm-hmm. um, launched a coffee shop, bought a, co- bought a building, started a coffee shop, you know, planted a missional community in it, um, mm-hmm. and did all that kind of stuff. And, um, thought I was leaving institutional church at that point. Like I, I was just going to live out on the edge, yeah. uh, part of the kingdom, part of the bigger C church, but I'm willing to be the black sheep kind of out on the edge of the, um, of the field or whatever. And so, um, you know, COVID, COVID kind of shocked us back into some things. I also, found myself uh, meeting a group of people at a church where I do some work now um, and getting involved with Forge America and some other, uh, mm-hmm. some other things that allowed me to reintegrate my conversation inside, you know, brick and mortar institution in a different way. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm actually real excited to be back in the church mm. The, the bigger church, yep. but, but it's with a very different position. And this is this church that I'm at is kind of an anomaly. Um, I would say, which we can, we can go into more uh, now, but that's kind of my quick and dirty path to where I am now. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of your, your journey, your path is trying to figure out how do we, we how do we integrate the, the edges of the kingdom uh, and the center um, and how do we, how do we, how those things mix? Um, yeah. You know, because if people are just out on the edge and they have no connection to the center, you know, is the kingdom of God? What's happening with the kingdom? Sure. Um, the center needs to be revitalized. It needs to look differently, have a different shape. Yeah. How have you found now as you're coming back in and that reintegration of the edges uh, mm-hmm. and the center? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. And I think, and I think that's um, what I would say is that the center and the edges need to look contextual. And Mm so um, I'm a big, big believer that mission should always be contextual. Yeah. Um, And so, and we know that you know, as Christians and church leaders and stuff, because when we send missionaries to another country, we don't all expect them all to learn Spanish if they're going to some other country that doesn't speak Spanish. I mean, so stuff is contextual, Um, but we don't do that. We don't do that well here in the West or in America. We don't ask contextual questions. We just 
get a school and buy some screens and and chairs and a fog machine and a band and you know and so we kind of yeah. do the same thing and just spread it all around so we don't ask contextual questions of our city or our neighborhood or the people that will be mm. be around the school where we will meet right so and and I'm always quick to say I have um um, I have repented of my leave, <laughs> leaving the brick and mortar, and I love the church. I yeah. really did, and I and I believe there needs to be a center. There needs yeah. to be the church is for believers, mm-hmm. and they need to gather. They need to commune together. They need to pray together. They need to worship together. Open the scriptures, all those things. The problem is when the service becomes. Um, you know, the key thing that we do. And we expect to invite people that don't know Jesus or God, or, you know, or or maybe they're kind of seeking faith. We, we expect them to come into our room Mm. and learn what we're doing. Well, that's not what we do with missionaries. We teach them language and culture and all those things. And we send them out, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and so we follow Jesus's command, you know, yeah. um, when he said, as the father sent me, so I send you. And so we are sent people. So, you know, that term gathered and scattered. I mean, I, li- I actually like that. I think mm-hmm. we should be gathered people and we should be a scattered people um, as well. Yeah. So, you know, so, so let, let me get to your question real, real pointedly. I think churches, and I'm using that word like the average American brick and mortar kind mm-hmm. of church. Um, I find myself in conversations now with churches that are trying to figure out how do we also be a scattered sent people, yeah, not just a gathered people. And, and I think that's a healthy conversation. That's a really healthy conversation. And I think one of the things, you know, as I send missionaries uh, around the world and, you know, in North America, one of the things I think is really difficult for p- people to do is to, excise their own cultural baggage we're we're okay of looking at other cultures but we're i don't think we're very good at analyzing our own culture and what do we put upon jesus that we're presenting to others have you figured out a way to uh to (laughs) to get rid of our own cultural baggage and just say here's jesus and jesus alone not jesus plus jesus plus this jesus plus that well yeah, so here's the secret sauce. I figured everything out. Joshua, <laughs> Perfect. So, this is great. No, That's no, why no. you're here. I mean, you know, this is, <laughs> I mean, but this is the fun of walking as a missionary, you know, in your context as yeah. you're figuring this stuff out. Um, hmm. So, I mean, I live, I live downtown Colorado Springs, uh, capital of Christian mission. I mean, there's more Christian mission organizations here than anywhere else in the world. Um, And, you know, sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not Mm. so good. Um, But a lot of people look at Colorado Springs and they think, well, boy, I bet that's a Christian, Mm. you know, right wing, whatever kind of, you know, they use all kinds of terminology town. And the truth is, it's not. It's actually it's actually less churched than boulder which is kind of considered a weird you know weird town in colorado um but downtown in colorado springs i mean you know there are really nice houses and then there and then we also have a huge homeless population here yeah and so like and and our house isn't really really big but 
um you know we live on a street that's kind of nice and it's downtown and it's an old 1900s houses and we'll have we'll sit out on our front porch my wife and i and we'll have a couple come by walking their dog and then a guy will come by with all of his belongings because he's homeless Mm. and so i think to answer your question it it really does come down to just figuring out how to love your neighbor or, or you look at someone and you say, okay, how can I participate in the mission of God? Mm-hmm. Which the big theological word thing for that is missio day. We learned right. that in, in seminary that God's on mission and we participate in his mission. And so, um, you know, the culture, our own cultural baggage, I think sometimes requires that we, that we engage our neighbor, no matter who they are, no matter what circumstance they're in. And we're willing to not just drive down the street to our church Mm -hmm. or drive down the street to our church's outreach, but we're willing to walk across the street to the house across the street or the house next door. Um, Because a lot of times we don't know the people that are even just right around us, you know? And so I, I don't know, to deconstruct my cultural baggage, I find it helpful to en- engage the homeless or engage my other neighbors and, mm. and kind of engage them in the place they are yeah. in life. And then just see how can I display or bring a taste of the kingdom uh, to that. So I don't know if that's a good answer, but. Well, I, I think that's helpful to actually get other people's perspectives. Uh, yeah. So it's you know it, there are perspectives exercises of, of asking people questions where they're coming from, sure. who they are. It helps broaden our our view of the world and realize that oh I actually do just own a, a small slice. My culture is very limited compared to everywhere else, and it's the same thing with you know what travel does. You're you're entering into other spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're encountering other cultures, that's, I think, one of the things that helps us start to figure out, oh, I'm looking at my own culture. It is definitely different. What is actually the core pieces of Jesus and the kingdom? And what is the other stuff that I I bring? Yeah. And, I, and I'm always a big proponent of, you know, getting rid of looking at other people as an agenda. Yeah, um, which is hard for us. Mm-hmm. And I and I do understand and very much believe that we want to announce the kingdom in the way that Jesus did. We want to share the gospel, all those kinds of things. But we are we are so quick to get people to pray some kind of prayer or, <laughs> you know, do some yeah. kind of exercise that they are that we can check them off the list as in, you know, and we for you know, we forget that even if those people never accepted Jesus, I mean, yeah. you know, that wouldn't be my hope. How else would we live as yeah. Jesus people? Mm-hmm. And so can you, you know, can you be involved with the LGBT community in your neighborhood in some way or in conversation or with your gay neighbors or whatever mm-hmm. um, without feeling like, okay, that's my agenda. Yeah. Because I would just live 
a life of love anyway, because I follow Jesus, you know, and I think more often than not, when you just live the way that you're supposed to live, just live like Jesus lived. Yeah. You'll often find people asking or when they're, they have a winsome posture toward Mm. faith, you know, and then you get, then you do get to talk about, you know, the gospel. Yeah. That reminds me of, you know, the early church when they're in the Roman empire, they, they definitely greeted one another with a, a kiss, a kiss of peace, right? A holy kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is the really the first time when, when you know the poor and the rich, um, the slave and the free, everybody was was now one, one body. Yeah. And so out on the streets, you know, your brothers or sisters, you're going to greet them with a kiss. It was uh-huh. very revolutionary because we're loving people. Yeah. Where they're at, who they are, saying yeah. we're together in this, and I think that that can correlate, that should correlate to us as we're continuing to love our neighbor well, um, and say, "Oh, I'm with you in this." That it's not, I'm not trying to say, you know, whatever. There's no agenda. It's just I love you, and we need to be, I think, countercultural in the way that mm-hmm. we love each other no matter where we're at no matter what background or cultural background we have sure. we need to love well yeah. um, practically how do we do that yeah well i mean you know i think about one kind of you know i'm using air quotes missional strategy is that you you know you kind of you kind of move into an area or if we were going to you know let's say we were going to move to a foreign country or whatever and we say, you look for that person of peace. Mm-hmm. We, we use that language in church, you yeah. know, mission all the time, find the person of peace and kind of connect with them. And uh, from that, the, you, you kind of seek some flourishing out of that. Well, my thing would be, what if we were the person of peace? Right. So instead of right. looking for the person of peace, it's like you're in a neighborhood, you're in a mm-hmm. context, a workplace, a, you know, your kid's soccer team, your, you know, whatever you're involved yep. in. And um, what if you saw yourself as the person of peace? Mm-hmm. And so what can you do to bring flourishing? Yeah. I think of, um, yeah, some friends of mine, they actually live around the corner from us. Um, and ironically, it's on Corona Street, <laughs> but <laughs> they um, but but what what they started right before Corona hit, you know, COVID-19 um, actually helped during the whole pandemic. And so they started a thing called Pancakes on the Porch. Mm. And they simply got a, a pancake griddle and all this stuff. And they yeah, invited yeah. the neighbors on their street to come to their front yard and just cook pancakes, you know. <laughs> and we've got a whole video of Pancakes on the Porch uh, in a couple of places. Um, but they curated it. They were such a good person of peace yep. on yeah. their on their street that um, Lydia talks about how their conversations changed from, Hey, how's your, how are your kids doing? Or, you know, those kind of things to man, we're really going through marriage struggles or whatever, you know? So can we all come over to the house and let's, let's talk about it and have dessert, you know? Um, And so, and now they, they are really pastors of a bunch of people that live in proximity mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah. Um, and so 
that that took intentionality and it took asking the question, what does this street need and what risk am I willing to take Yeah, um, to kind of help that flourishing happen? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that is risky, you know, in a in a place now, you know, I think the conversation is is changing and is and COVID has really accelerated the change of what are we really willing to risk? Um, mm -hmm. Are we willing to risk, you know, new forms, new, you know, ecclesiology? Are we willing to risk, you know, the, a different type of incarnation? Um, you know, what does it look like? How, how have you found uh, a way for, for churches and people to actually get into this liminal space, this risky business of the kingdom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, I think the reminder to us all is that kingdom business is always risky and mm -hmm. always was meant to be risky, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so I, as a, you know, kind of missiologist, ecclesiologist, I mean, I, I really do see that the church, um, in America we're talking about, or the West primarily exists as an attractional model of an institution. And, and that's what we've done for the past few decades. The church growth movement was built around that. And so it was all around inviting people to the church. And that was also the place of evangelism and sharing the gospel and people coming to Christ. And, and it's, I mean, it can still be that, but we're kind of fooling ourselves if we don't see that culture has shifted and yep. people that don't know Jesus and people that aren't uh, on a very intentional spiritual journey just aren't going to walk in a church mm -hmm. for answers. Yeah. Um, they're, they're just not going to do it. And, and it's, it's getting less and less. And even, even our brothers and sisters that are believers and follow Jesus are leaving the structure of Sunday centric attraction, tractional models. Um, I mean, we're below, I think, you know, the latest thing was that was shocking to me was that denominationally, um, I think membership has gone below 50%, you know, for denominations. Mm -hmm. Now, some of those people might have moved to non-denominational events or those kinds of things. But anyway, I, you know, you, we can argue about the, um, you know, the numbers, the specific numbers of, of the statistics, but the trend is probably unarguable. Yeah. And so, our conversation, what, what we're doing here at uh, the church I'm with and our conversation within Forge America, um, which I direct, um, is very much helping churches think about um, how they can return to the missional posture that they were always supposed to have. Yeah. And all that means is what we were talking about at the beginning is we very much want the gathering to flourish. We want people that want to come into a room and sing together and be together to do that. But we want them to have the identity that, um, that this is halftime, you know, mm -hmm. this isn't yeah. the end of the game. This is halftime. So you yeah. come in here to get remissioned and mm -hmm. sent back out into the places that you live, work and play. So here, uh, to give you an example of, of what one of the things that we're trying, and we don't have it figured out, but what, one thing we're doing here 
Um, so I'm at Pulpit Rock Church in uh, Colorado Springs. It's named after a rock formation <laughs> called Pulpit Rock. It's not a great name for a church, <laughs> but I mean, it's, uh, but this is an old conservative Baptist church. It used to be, and, and they left the denomination uh, years and years ago, but it has its roots in yeah. kind of a conservative uh, tradition, Bible tradition. And um, now we're more kind of non-denominational um, in posture, but we're very missional in posture. And so one of the, when I met the team here, they were already doing lots of kind of what might be termed social justice missions mm -hmm. work uh, with sex trafficking and refugees and, you know, things like yeah. that. And they had their hands dirty in it, not just giving money to it, but just, you know, staff even going undercover to rescue girls from the sex trade in Thailand and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, kind of a green beret church, I, I tell some people. And, um, so one of the things we recently did, we started asking, um, the things that we're doing around the world, how can we be missional in the city that we're in Yeah, and pay attention to our own context and culture. And so we launched a micro church network out of a brick and mortar church. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times these kinds of networks are started by, these kind of kingdom entrepreneurs, these mm -hmm. kind of weird apostolics and they're kind of church planner types, but they, they go and start like a house church network or something yeah. like that. We took some of the model from Tampa underground, some of the language mm -hmm. um, and from a couple of other places. And so we have, we have a network that is intentionally trying to disperse our church mm. across the city rather than a, invite people to our service. Yeah. And so within that network, our first conversation is not, well, Pulpit Rock Church is over here on Austin Bluffs Boulevard. And this yeah. is when we meet on Sunday. It's very much, how do we help incubate and start your house church, your missional business, yeah. your parachurch, you know, and maybe it's something that's already existing and it's not even part of our church. Right. but we still network it into this network. And so um, we've changed our metrics to being kingdom expansion. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what we talk about. Um, and we're hoping that this network also provides place as we disciple people into their own sentness or their missional identity. Yeah. And this gives them a place to go and start a pancakes on the porch or a house church or a whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one way that we're doing it to try to, to try to shift our posture from Sunday morning to yeah. out, out into our context. Yeah. I love that. Uh, you know, and you're, you're helping people be sent ones, you know, mm -hmm. in, into that place. That's really, really good. You know, as you've curated and edited the red skies, that's coming out the, conversations about the future of the church. What are some of the things that you have learned? Where are we headed? What's next? Um, yeah. What are, what are some of the things that, that you learned in the middle of that? Well, I, I first I learned that it was way too big a project to take on. <laughs> um, I mean, it was funny because, um, you know, when I, when I had the idea for the book, it was an idea that I was just going to write it. Yeah. And I took it to 
100 Movements Publishing and to Anna Robinson and you know, and she loved the idea and stuff. But as I looked at like, okay, what are the topics that we want to talk about? Well, race. What? How does the church deal with racial division over the next 20 years? Okay. Eco-theology. Okay. Sexuality. And you start listing these yeah. topics. It's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the most arrogant thing I've ever <laughs> written in my life. Like, here's the answers to yeah. church's problem, you know? And so it was actually Brian Sanders that said, hey, you know, a lot of people, why don't you ask a bunch of friends to be mm -hmm. contributors? And so I thought, oh, that's a great idea. That'll be much easier. And, but the problem is when you get the list of voices like we got for Red Skies, yeah. it, I mean, it's worse than herding cats, <laughs> like trying to get deadlines and, you know, editing and all this kind of stuff. But they were fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, this... This book, you know, and I'm I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm patting all these other authors on the yeah. back. I mean, Alan Hirsch, Leonard Sweet, Brian Sanders, Greg Coles, um, Ania Kwabi, Deb Hirsch, you know, Michael Frost, Lisa Rodriguez Watson, Mark Demoth. I mean, the the depth of this book is um I think it's pivotal for this time. I really do. Yeah. I'm I'm just praying that God gets this into the hands of a lot of pastors that are that are hurting from trying to figure out how yeah. do I deal with Black Lives Matter? How do I deal with yeah. this, you know, this LGBTQ couple that wants to come to my church? Or how do we, you know, how do we deal with conservation and all the students that are interested in green theology and that kind of stuff, or, you know, whatever the topics. Now this book is not a book of answers. It's not yeah. like, okay, here's the things you need to do. It's a very clear path, or I, I would say it's a very clear framing of the issue. Yeah. And so um, it's, it's almost like maybe there were places that you, unintentionally had blinders on. And so like on race, I mean, we want to be pretty aware of yeah. that conversation, but when you talk to Ania or you read her chapter, there's some places where the blinders come off a little bit and you go, Oh, I didn't, I didn't really realize <laughs> yeah. that, or I haven't been intentional enough in that conversation. So being aware is not the same as being intentional. There's an example of yeah. one thing that I learned, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, it's, it's like anything that's kind of prophetic. You don't always get answers as much as you get more questions, but you feel mm -hmm. like, Ooh, I understand the path ahead yeah. for this. Now, one of the things that we're trying to do with this, because we understand it's not like a strategy book or a book of answers, is we we actually launched a website and a podcast, and um, we're going to do some webinars and things like that. And Movement Leaders Collective is going to keep that conversation going. Yeah. So it will be a it will be a continuing thing, so that as people are learning things, then we can learn together. You yeah. know, so there's someone out there that's going to read this and they're going to figure out something. And and we all as church leaders need to hear that. You know, we yeah. need to know that. So we're going to try to curate some of that um, co-learning together. Yeah. And that co-learning is really important. You know, I was I heard uh, someone say that uh, 
everybody gets a gets a word god sure. makes a sentence you know that yeah yeah that's great so you know as we're each you know bringing our learning together as we come mm -hmm. together god can make a sentence and actually give us a clearer path that, together than we can't alone yeah, really I'm writing that down, dude. I'm stealing that. <laughs> I I stole it so you can steal it. Okay. It's, All it's right. open source, you know. It's open source now. Yeah. yeah. Copy the copyright is free. You're free to copy. So as we we do that, so what is that have you seen things like that in the in this prophetic space that where you've actually seen God God making a sentence is where having these little words, we're seeing a bit of the picture. And what does it look like to get a, a bigger picture together? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something I'm learning as a leader. Um, you know, being a Enneagram 7, um, you know, apostolic prophetic on APES tests. You know, yeah. if, people, if your listeners know what that is. Um, I'm one of these guys that's just like, I love to blaze the trail and I feel like I've got the answer and how to do it and let's just <laughs> go do it. And so my, you know, my own, um, my own thing that I've had to learn, um, and I'm trying to be, do better at is being a collective, uh, listener mm. to conversations and things like that. So, um, you know, one interesting place that, that has happened, uh, for me and my wife recently, we, you know, you, we're, we're all hearing this, the new buzzword of deconstruction, you know, and that's kind of, you know, what is deconstruction and, and how do we deal with it and all, you know, all yeah. these kinds of things. And, and I met um, through various ways, several like 20 and 30 somethings. And um, a lot of them have PTSD from the church or mm -hmm. faith or, you know, something in their story. And, and so they're, throwing around this word deconstruction. So we started a deconstruction group Monday nights at our house. And, um, you know, I walked into that obviously with my own opinion of, well, this is what deconstruction is. This is what it isn't. This is how you can reconstruct faith. Right. You know, I have all these answers as in the way that I'm wired. Um, but it's been great to just sit in the room and listen to, you know, uh, you know, a gal that's 29 that's divorced and, and has figured out is trying to figure out, well, who is God and yeah. who is Jesus to me? And yeah, I still believe in this big God, but I'm not sure what I believe about, you know, hell or all these different topics. Yep. And so I'm, I'm actually learning what deconstruction is by listening to all these different mm. voices. And so in that conversation, I've found out there's no one definition of deconstruction, you know, yeah. which we could, we could probably guess. So that's just an example, but I think, I think sitting at a table with people that are different than us mm -hmm. um, and actually listening um, is the, is the best way to shape that path you know yeah. that path forward and yeah uh, the quicker we can get there the smarter we'll become <laughs> so yeah i yeah. i don't know how many <laughs> how many times i've mentioned eating together on this this podcast but it comes up oh, quite yeah. a bit because yeah. it's it's really what what jesus commands us to do is eat you know and eat yeah. what is set before yeah, yeah. you 
You know, when yeah. you're thinking about the person of peace conversation and are we a person of peace, you know, in Luke 10, the first thing that Jesus says, eat what is set before you. And he says it twice, two times yeah. in a row. And I, yeah. I think it's important because we actually have to to get to know people. We have to sit across from people. And that's really the only place um, traditionally where we've had a place of of space to ha- have an interaction in such a way of I'm hearing you, you're hearing me over a meal. Um, and that's where we need to, that place. If we could get people to eat together, um, I think the world would look vastly different. Yeah, we might be overweight, but more overweight. <laughs> but yeah, it would be, we would love each other more. I mean, and ironically, we use table language here at our church. And so yeah. like, yeah. if you want to come and you want to find out a little bit more about our faith community, you go to a thing that's called First Table. And then if you want to dive in deeper, you go to a thing that's called second table. Yeah. And, and so we, we believe the table is the great equalizer, you know, cause yeah. you're sitting, you're sitting down, you're sitting at the same eye level and it, it kind of takes away all of those separations, yeah. you know, as you're sharing. I mean, that's why we started a coffee shop as, as our missional impulse yeah. when we left, when we left the church was because it's coffee tables and we're curating a place where people, you know, equally sit and work together and play together and write and do all these different things. So yeah, big believer in in that. that. And drink good coffee. And drink, please drink good coffee. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's good coffee? I, I need to know some good coffee. Well, I mean, you mean brands? I well, I don't need. I, just, I need. I don't need to know brands. Help yeah, yeah. help people be a discerning oh. coffee drinker. This is See, important this, in the kingdom. This is such a hard. This is like talking about <laughs> baptism sprinkled or dunked. You know, it's. But here's what I'll say. I mean, as as someone who learned to roast coffee and all that kind of stuff, I I'm a big believer that you can way over roast coffee. Yeah, that's and true. There, there are big chains out there that are super popular and making a lot more money than me that would disagree with me. And because and they so do it and people yeah, buy it because they do it. <laughs> so find your local craft coffee roaster, coffee shop and support them. I mean, they're a local business. It's a great way to uh, support a business in your context, you know, and, <laughs> So that's, that's, that's what I'll leave it with. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Yeah. I just, I like coffee conversation. Um, you know, as you're, you're looking at, at sitting across the table, being that equalizer, you know, Paul, you know, when they had the, in Corinthians, when he wrote to the Corinthians and they had the, the conversation around communion, um, who should be taking communion or not really the conversation was the rich people were eating all the food and drinking all the wine before the working class got there. Um, he actually thought that this table that you know we're supposed to be at is that great equalizer that we shouldn't be eating all the food you're being a jerk so he got angry because we actually yeah. don't get to eat together um because yeah. that that's so important to yeah. be able to do that yeah it, it absolutely is i yeah we i mean i think that's why things like um dinner churches and those kinds of things. Like when people have this impulse, like, well, I want to, I want to do something different than the Sunday morning church, but I I'm not leaving faith or anything like that. Yeah. So they started dinner church or a small yeah. group that eats together or whatever. Yep. I mean, that's an impulse within ourselves, you know? And um, so I think it's a great, 
it's a great direction to go down if, you know, if you don't have some other missional idea, you know? Yeah. So as you're working with churches, if, if churches uh, and people want to get involved locally in mission and what to do, you know, with your conversation around Forge America, what are the types of conversations you're having with churches? How, how do they take those next steps to get people scattered on mission? Yeah, well, the, the biggest danger to the missional conversation is that they see it as a, the next strategy or the next <laughs> growth strategy or something. Yeah. And oftentimes, the bigger the church, the more, the more that becomes a reality. Because, it, I mean, it is hard to turn a battleship on yep. a dime. I mean, it, you really have to plan it out. And so the bigger the church, the really the longer time time frame it's going to take um, to do that. It always has to start with leadership. If leadership is not living on mission, it's not going to become a core value of people's faith. It's just going to be an add-on program. So at Forge, we always, um, as we're coaching churches, we, we want to start with the pastoral team or elder team, however that leadership is structured. Mm And take them through a process of kind of paradigm shifts and thinking about mission and theology and and them doing it themselves, you know. And then you start thinking about kind of exegeting your church culture, like who are we, who are our people, and uh, what are they involved in. And then there are very specific things you can do, like infusing language into church culture. There's right ways to do that and wrong ways to do that. And <laughs> yeah. Um, you can launch some discipleship type classes that can even look like Sunday school classes, but they're actually teaching sentness. And yeah. so there's a way of just kind of, kind of easily moving that pendulum over rather than slamming it the other direction, which we, we would say, don't do that. You know, don't, right. don't just kill things and start a new program now, you know, but, but take, you're going to take two to five years to actually shift, but you can mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, we yeah. have examples. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. It's it's really helping people change the DNA of 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 church um, and their their structure of who they are in simple incremental ways that'll actually get people to to shift. Yeah, um, and this and this is what I love to tell pastors, like the the lead pastors and stuff um, that that I might get to sit with, and the elders is like you'll find out this is what you got into ministry for. I mean, you'll return to this love of why you got into ministry because oftentimes they planted a church with um, great dreams of, of reaching the community with the gospel and baptizing people and um, bringing wholeness and beauty and all those kinds of things. And what they got, what they are left with five to 10 years later is, an organization that is run like a business and they weren't built to, you know, be a CEO. Yeah. So this, this shift back into mission and sending your people out into the city um, will actually return you to the thing that you, that you loved the most and why you got into ministry. And so Mm -hmm. it's great to see pastors that just, you know, they just (laughs) light up. Yeah. Because of the stories of their people reaching their neighborhood or their mm. workplace or whatever. So. Yeah. You know, a lot of what you've been talking about this whole time is around kingdom flourishing of how mm. do we see, you know, kingdom flourishing in our neighborhoods and our places, the places where we, we are and 
Um, you know, it's just a, a beautiful thing to walk out uh, advancing the kingdom and seeing flourishing happen in our neighborhoods and these and asking those those questions in these spaces where our culture is shifting um, places need this flourishing where they feel like there is a lack, even in the de- deconstruction conversation. How is their kingdom flourishing in a conversation around, hey, I, I'm not certain anymore. I need to I'm trying to embrace this mystery of what what it actually is. Um, all these conversations are, I think, around kingdom flourishing, which is really good. Yeah, and this is the I, I see this time as the great opportunity mm-hmm. for for um, a reemergence of mission and kingdom presence. Um, so I know pastors are hurting. I know people aren't coming back. I know some churches are having financial issues um, because of COVID and all these things, and my heart just aches for them yeah my my i don't have an answer a quick and dirty answer like how do you get back to the way things were because i I really don't think that's where we need to go but this is the greatest opportunity to take those people that are deconstructing take those people that aren't coming back and say you know if you still love jesus let us help you uh let us help you show you that you're a sent person and that you Mm -hmm. can bring flourishing to the people you live and work and play with, you know, that are around you. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, You know, a couple questions here at the end, Roland, Uh, if you could go back to your 21 year old self, what advice would you give? (laughs) Except (laughs) Jesus, because it was 24 when I did. So (laughs) like at 21, go ahead and get off the road. You know, yeah, this isn't, this isn't what you think it is. Um, well, I mean, I think my early, my, you know, right when I, right when I decided to follow Jesus, give my life over to God, um, I, you know, I wish I would have had someone discipling me to kind of say, you know, kind of take a, a look at my life and how I was wired and um, those kinds of things, and then just send me into this um, the edgy part of Christianity and, and church and all those things. I, yeah. I wish I could have spent 20 years, you know, 25 years mm. doing that. And, um, mm. and so, you know, just going back to that, I, you know, there's nothing about, you know, there's nothing about theology or when I went to seminary or anything. I mean, all that was fine. And, uh, I'm amazed at the God stories in my, in my early life. Um, but I would have loved to, engaged um in more as more of a sent person early yeah. on you know yeah yeah that's good uh yeah anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend <laughs> or for well, you listen, or listening any music? i'm in the midst of a i'm in the midst of a dissertation for my doctorate and mm. i've been working on you know we're just getting red skies published march 7th it's coming out and so i've been I've been reading a lot of stuff that I have to read. Um, but, you know, I will tell you, I mean, and this really isn't just a pitch, but Read Jesus just came back out, um, yeah. a new, new version of it. And um, I just started back into that the other day and uh, just kind of reading a little bit every morning. And man, if, if, if to your listeners, if you're, you haven't read the book, Read Jesus, yeah. Uh, grab, grab the yellow edition, the newest one that just got redone. And I'd, I'd highly encourage you, especially as a church leader yep. uh, to read that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so good. I think it's so important. We need to, yeah. you know, put Jesus uh, back where he belongs. He's at the center. The main yeah. thing right yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Um, yeah. So how could people get Red Skies, your other book, Life Out Loud? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Red Skies is uh, it's on pre-order right right now. I don't know when this is airing, but it'll it'll release March 7th. It's on Amazon, Barnes Noble, you know, several platforms where you can uh, get books. Um, we have a website also, redskiesfuture.com. <laughs> And if you put your info in there, well, you know, these webinars and the podcast and different things like that, you'll get info on that. And the conversation about like, what does the church need to pay attention to? Or how do we navigate these things in culture yeah. will continue. So that's a good, good place to connect. And then I've got, a, I've just got my own website. Uh, it's info or it's rollandsmith.net. So, um, you know, the books and some other writing and stuff like that is on there. So in forgeamerica.com, you can always find us, find us there. So I've got way too many websites. <laughs> I know yeah. it's too many, Yeah, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's good. It's always nice. You know, when you're on the edges, you like to get your hands in a lot of different things. So, yeah. And, well, and church <laughs> leaders, if they're, you know, if they're really interested in, in, you know, if they're feeling some pain, I mean, we, we would love to have a conversation with them at forge. And so um, just, doing the contact form on forgeamerica.com and and we'd love to set up a zoom or a phone call or something like that so yeah be great well roland thank you so much this was uh this is just a pleasure to talk to you it was fun and uh, i really enjoyed it so thank you yeah great to spend some time with you joshua and thanks for having me yeah thanks Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.